0: Well, friends, let me invite you to turn to the book of Genesis. We continue our study in the life of Jacob. We'll be reading uh, in chapter 31, verse 22 through verse 55. We've been looking at Jacob's decision last week to flee. He, he decided he got a command from God, go back home. He wanted to go back home. He's been with Laban. He's been with this, this cunning, deceitful trickster of a guy for 20 years. He's been working hard. He's he's gotten two wives because he had to work so long. He's been blessed with kids. Grand, not yet grandkids, but pretty soon sometime. He's gotten money. God's blessed him. Now he's heading back home. Slowly, God is doing what he thought he would do. But uh, it's not all roses. What's going to happen now? We see Laban. Uh, will respond and the chase is on let's begin in verse 22 uh, we'll read through the end of the chapter let me remind you yet again this is the very word of God let's receive it and trust that it actually will do something to us Moses and the Lord write this when it was told Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled he took his kinsman with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, what have you done that you've tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? Why did you flee secretly and trick me? and did not tell me the, 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 that I, I might have sent you away with mirth and songs, with tambourines and lyre. Why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It's in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you've gone away because you have longed greatly for your father's house. Why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid, for I thought you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live in the presence of our kinsmen. Point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now, Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but did not find them. And he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all around the tent, but did not find them. And Rachel said to her father, let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you for the way of women is upon me. So he searched, but did not find the household gods. Then Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob said to Laban, what's my offense? What's my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. These 20 years I've been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried. I have not eaten the rams of your flocks, What was torn by wild beef I didn't bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. By day the heat consumed me and the cold by night. And my sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I've been in your house. I served you 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flock. And you have changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the dread of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my oppression and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, the daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. But what can I do this day for these my daughters or for their children whom they have born? Come now, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen, gather stones, and they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Yegar Sahadutha. But Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, This heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore he named it Galid and Mizpah. For he said, The Lord, watch between you and me when we are out of another's sight. If you oppress my daughters, if you take wives beside my daughters, although no one is with us, see God is witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me, this heap is a witness, and the pillars are witness that I will not pass over this heap to you and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father judge between us. So Jacob swore by the dread of his father, Isaac, and Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread, for the night in the hill country. Early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed. And returned home. The grass withers. The flowers. Well they're already fading. It's getting in the fall. But the Lord. And his word. Endure forever. Let's pray. And ask him to bless. The preaching and the hearing. The receiving and the loving of his word. Lord we come as those. Who are burdened ourselves. Come as those who are weak. Vulnerable. We come as those. Who are tempted. To turn to other gods. We come as those who don't fear you. We fear others, we fear failure, we fear ourselves, we fear death, we forget you. Lord, show us the fear of Jacob, the fear of Isaac, and yet show us your wonderful provision and protection in Jesus Christ. For we ask this in his name. Amen. I'm not usually a huge fan of uh, covers, you know, music uh, that gets covered by bands. Sometimes I am. Occasionally, the covers are better than the originals, but um, it's not usually my, my thing. Uh, but the Bible's a fan of cover bands. You may not know that, but the, uh, the Bible is a fan of covers. I say that because what we have here is the original, really. What we have here is a, a, an original track. You might call it uh, Jacob's Exodus. It's an original track. And you will find it called back to over and over again. You will find covers of it. You will find covers of it all through the rest of the Bible. You will find covers of the Exodus all throughout the Holy Scriptures. This is an Exodus. We'll see it this morning. You look at really the most important verse in the whole passage. It's right here. Verse 30. uh, Verse 42. God saw my affliction. God saw my oppression. God seen my hardship. God has looked. He's looked upon me. He's seen my condition, and he's done something. That phrase, by the way, is only used two other times in the first five books of the Old Testament. only used two other times in the Pentateuch. It's used in Exodus 3, verse 7, when God says, I have seen the oppression of my people. What happens then? Exodus. It's used in Deuteronomy 26, verse 7, where Moses says, The Lord heard our voice, heard our oppression. That's the Exodus. What we have here is Jacob's version, his original track of the Exodus, leaving from a tyrant because God sees his oppression. Look at three things this morning as we look at this uh, this Exodus. Look at the chase between Laban and Jacob. First, we'll see that Jacob is actually oppressed. He's actually vulnerable. He's not in a great position. It may seem like he is, because he has the money. It may seem like he has the kids, he has the family, but he's actually in a very weak position here. You recall the end of our uh, last week's text, we saw briefly that Rachel, his wife, his beloved wife, had stolen. She'd been a bit sneaky. She'd stolen her father's little household gods, his little stone statues. We read in verse 21, and we looked at it last week. Uh, sorry, verse 19, that Rachel stole her father's household gods, verse 20. Jacob stole Laban's heart. Rachel stole his gods. Jacob stole his heart. And the point is, Christ tells us those are the same things. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Laban's heart's been stolen from him. His whole purpose for living is somehow wrapped up in these gods. We'll look at it. We'll see why. Somehow it's wrapped up in these gods. He needs them. He's going to go after Jacob, but Jacob has left without telling Laban. Jacob's been a little bit sneaky. He's not being cowardly, but like the Israelites at Passover, leaving Egypt, he's being wise. But it does put Jacob on the back foot with Laban. Laban can say, verse 27, hey, well, why'd you sneak out? Why'd you leave without telling me? And what has Laban done? We read in verse 23, he takes his kinsmen. That's the whole clan. That's not just like his brothers. That's the whole clan. He takes all his forces. He pursues him for seven days. It's 350 miles from Haran in the east to Gilead, uh, east of the promised land where where Jacob finally stops. 300 miles, seven days. Maybe not quite seven days. If the hard, be longer than that. But Laban has been unrelenting. That's the point. He's been furious he's determined to catch him he's armed and in verse 29 he says he says this i could kill you i could do it you know i could get you it's in my power to do you harm but that's real i mean jacob could be enslaved worse he could be killed jacob has money he has the flocks, but he does not have a tribal army laban has the soldiers Jacob has been caught. Jacob has been caught. He's very, very vulnerable. But second, we see that really Jacob is protected. We'll come back to his vulnerability. There's more there. But we see, second, that the main character in this story is not Jacob. It's not Laban. The main character is God. God gives Jacob what you might call hard protection. This is verses 17 to 29 and 43 to 55. God gives hard protection. The premier item is in verse 24. God comes to Laban. He says, watch out, Laban, buddy. Watch yourself that you not speak to Jacob any harm, any good, any bad. Don't threaten Jacob. Keep your mitts off him. And then, of course, later on, we get to Laban's bluster. Laban starts saying in in verse 26, he goes into his big complaint. He says, hey, why have you tricked me? I was going to throw you a party really? That's a bunch of malarkey. I was going to throw you a party. I was going to be nice. I was going to kiss my daughters goodbye. Why'd you not let me do that? I mean, this is Laban here. This is a guy who would never let Jacob leave at all. But God has said to him, watch yourself, Laban. All he can do is bluster. All he can do is bluster. All he can do at the end of the text is say, hey, let's make a peace treaty. Let's make a covenant. I surrender. He's not French, but he could be. He throws a white flag up. He says, no more, no mas. Now, just to show you the kind of hard protection we have here, part of this covenant is uh, verse 49. What's called sometimes the Mizpah benediction. The Lord watch between me and you when we are absent from each other. It, it's kind of gone out of style, but um, some of y'all may, be, may have used this in the past. I mean, I, I know... Uh, some some churches, some groups, when they get together and they're closing for a benediction, they'll they'll use this verse. They'll say, the Lord, watch between you and me when we're absent. It sounds really sweet, doesn't it? It sounds really nice. God, watch over us when we're apart. That's so comforting, isn't it? Uh, very, very, very sweet. Just put it in your wall, print it out, bumper sticker, material. No, it's not. No, it's not at all. Look at it in the context. What is this? This is not, oh, God be with us until we meet again, lovely. No, the meaning is Jacob and Laban are saying to each other, look, you scoundrel Laban, God's gonna watch you. God's got his eyes on you, buddy. He's gonna make sure that while you're away from me, you ain't gonna be planning anything. You ain't gonna be doing anything. It's not between two people who are lovey-dovey. It's between two guys who are cunning sneaks, who don't trust each other. It's not of an addiction, it's an imprecation, if you want the nerdy term. The word for mizpah misbe- is watch. It's a nasty goodbye. And that's what God says to Laban. Verse 24, verse 29. Man, in the dream, God says, Laban, watch yourself, buddy. Don't threaten Jacob. God puts Laban in his vice grips. He says, I protect my vulnerable servant, Jacob. I protect my helpless man. I won't allow Laban to harm. Now, how does God do this? Does God call on angels? Is this a miracle? No, He scares the snot out of Laban. That's what He does. He scares Laban to death. He says, "Look, if you touch Jacob, it's the last thing you're going to do." Now, that's not the kind of God we like. That's not the kind of God we usually play around with. This is not the uh, you know uh, old fa- old guy with a beard and his dotage up up there, the old man upstairs. And yet, there are occasions in our lives when God gives hard protection like this. You find it in the Christian biographies. There's a, in the 1920s, there was a, a Christian missionary, a Baptist, Mennonite, I think, perhaps, who went to the Soviet Union, Cornelius Martins. He was arrested by the communists and thrown into prison with a bunch of other guys, other, other prisoners, political prisoners. And every night the guards would pick somebody out and they would go shoot him. They'd take him out they'd say, bam, you hear a gunshot, never see the guy again. Cornelius was taken one day. He was taken uh, into the Communist Party boss's office, the chairman's office. They roughed him up some. And um, he said in response, look, I don't mind what you do to me. I don't care what you do to me. He said, because if my hour has come to go into the glory of my God, there's nothing you can do to me here. He said that to the party boss. And that's, not, that's like putting a red flag in front of a bull. You shouldn't have said that. The boss heard this. He, he, threw, he flies into a rage. He grabs his revolver. He points the trigger at Cornelius' head. He says, look, I'll show you how powerful your God is. He puts a finger on the trigger, and three times he tries to fire the trigger. He couldn't do it. Some kind of paralysis. I'm not sure what it was. Some kind of paralysis. His body looks like he's ready to have a coronary. And the chairman lowers the gun. He says, why is the guy in here? What's he condemned for? The guard says, well, he's a Baptist. Can't you see? His uh, his God's fighting for him. Martin's asked very... Uh, boldly, hey, can I put my clothes on? Can I just go out now? The boss said, never show your face here again. Now look, that usually doesn't that rarely happens. Usually the gun goes off and the guy's dead. That's what happens. But it was hard protection. It was hard protection. So why does God protect Jacob? I mean, you don't get protected like this all the time. I don't get protected like this all the time. Why Jacob? Why Jacob? We know why Jacob. Because Jacob and his family is in one sense... The only church in existence at the time. The only church. This is the covenant people of God. Not a great bunch of inscriptions. Not a great bunch of saints. But the ones who have. The ones God has. And if something happens to Jacob and his family. The promise of God. The great promise of God. To send a savior. The great promise of God to save his people. Null and void. Jesus would never have come. And so. Sometimes. When you're vulnerable, sometimes when there's threat. Sometimes when Christians are powerless, what does God do? God sends our protection. It's, it's the way Jacob actually talks about God. You see it in uh, verse 42. You see it in um, uh, verse 53 as well. What Jacob says, he calls God the fear of Isaac or the dread of Isaac. He calls God the, the dreadful one of Isaac. My father, Isaac, the one who inspires dread. If God were a wrestler today, you might call him the intimidator. You know, they have a name like that, like the undertaker, the intimidator. You might call him the intimidator. In, in this passage, God is intimidating. He intimidates Laban. Why is that helpful? It's not helpful. You notice Jacob does not use it to kind of go on a rampage and start, you know, forcibly converting everybody to, to, to worship God. He doesn't use it as a, as a, a religious kind of fundamentalist would today or, or whatnot. He doesn't, he doesn't use it that way. What does he do? What do he do? He uses it because it's all he has. He says, look, if I didn't have the fear of, 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 uh, of Isaac, if I didn't have God, I'd be empty handed today. I'd have nothing today. You see, friends, this is actually the comfort, the only real comfort that you can have as a Christian if you suffer, when you suffer. The only comfort you have is that God is a dread. God is a dread God. And it's when you suffer It's only when we suffer that we actually lay hold of this truth in the right way. Not of the weapon, not of the club, but it's the only anchor we have in a sea of trial. It's what happened to a guy named uh, Guido, Guido de Bray. He wrote the Belgian Confession, uh, 1561. He was killed for it a few years later. What does it say about the church, what he wrote? Article 27, he says this. The church has existed from the beginning of the world and will be to the end for Christ is an eternal King and cannot be without subjects. This church is preserved by God from all the fury of the world. Although it may look for a while to be small and almost snuffed out. Do you feel like that as a Christian, you're small? Do you feel like that the church is almost snuffed out in human eyes? What confidence here that God will be, Protect his people. He may use heart protection, but most of the time he won't. Most of the time you will suffer. Most of the time you will be shot and killed. <clears throat> That's what we find in Psalm 124, verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. But what's Psalm 124 about? What's the very first verse? If it had not been the Lord who was on our side. Our enemies would have swallowed us up. It's a psalm of protection, a psalm of preservation. Do you know that your God is the only safe space you can have? You understand that your God is the only protector that really matters? That's important because Jacob is actually way more vulnerable than I've already mentioned. He's actually way more vulnerable than he realizes because Rachel has stolen these gods. She's, it's not just that, that Laban has troops, It's not just that Laban o- overpowers him, but it's that Rachel, his beloved wife, has stolen the household god of Laban. Uh, Jacob is way more vulnerable. What's the vulnerability here? What's his kryptonite? Well, these were little statues. They were meant to symbolize the gods. Uh, they didn't only people didn't worship. They're not stupid. Well, we think they're stupid. They're not stupid. They're, they're just like you. People didn't worship these stones. But they would believe that these statues symbolized the help, the power of the gods No, Rachel steals them. Why did she steal them? You get all sorts of answers to questions. We're not sure. Some some think, well, she was still a pagan. She was still not. She believed in them. That's silly because she treats them pretty poorly. She sits on them. Not a lot of reverence there. Some say she was taken out of spite and anger at her dad. The scholars tell us that in those days, these gods were seen as kind of like mortgage deeds, titled to the investment, the inheritance. You pass it on to your family down the road and maybe Rachel wanted to take them so she would have the inheritance and Laban couldn't just give it to anybody. And Of course, Jacob has no idea. So what does he do? He, Laban brings it up. This is, this is Laban's question. You know, Why have you stolen my gods? Jacob says, verse 32, he makes a rash oath. Anybody you find with your gods, I'll kill them myself. Rasho, that's what he says. He is so convinced he's innocent. He says, okay, hey, go ahead. Bring out the TSA. Everybody goes through the extra machine. Search everybody. You'll find the gods. He has no idea his beloved wife is the thief. And so we come to a very well-written story. I mean, this is just beautifully, if you like, like literature, the build-up's great. Right? Verse, verse 31, Laban goes into Jacob's tent. Nothing there. Of course, he would think Jacob's the, the obvious guy. He goes first to Jacob. Then he goes to Leah. You'll notice he then goes to the two female servants because the person that Laban would least expect would be his beloved, beautiful daughter. And so finally he comes to Rachel's tent. Tension up, you know, quite a bit, rested it up. The moment's arrived. We'll she get out of it. Verse 34. Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban finds all of, he tries to search, he can't find them. She said to her father, oh, let my Lord not be angry. I, I can't get up. The way of women is upon me. The way of women is upon me. You see this? Why didn't Rachel steal the gods? So that you can laugh at them. Do you, see right here, this is, this, is, this is comic gold. They didn't have comedians. They had the Bible. And right here is comic gold. For any ancient Israelite, let me tell you why. These idols, these false gods are warm because she's sitting on them. Her behind is on them. And according to Rachel's own claim, it's her time of the month, they're unclean. She said, hey, I'm cramping. I can't get up. One scholar puts it this way. I'm just quoting here, right? So it's safe. The gods are Rachel's sanitary napkin. In a deep, deeply ironic way, Laban, who manipulated his own daughter into deceiving Jacob, is now deceived by his own beloved daughter. And his gods are so totally mocked as wimpy and unclean and disgusting. They can be taken in in the purse. Ladies, these are gods you can put in your purse. Take them away. How powerful are they? Do you get the humor, sarcasm here? It's hilarious if you're an Israelite. It should be to a Presbyterian. So why is the Bible funny here? Whenever the Bible's funny, the Bible actually uses humor deliberately. It never uses humor simply just to uh, to kind of laugh and just to make fun of people. It uses humor when it mocks something. It does it to make a very serious point. Here's the point of this comedy routine. Idolatry is very serious and very ludicrous idolatry is very serious and very ludicrous you see the great vulnerability of Jacob and the great vulnerability of Laban are the same thing idolatry the great vulnerability of Laban are these little gods Jacob's great vulnerability is that he he, he doesn't have anything he has to look to security for something he looks to the right place, to God. Laban looks to the wrong place for his security. He looks to these gods. And friends, that's your weakness. That's your weakness too. What's your great vulnerability as a human being? Your great vulnerability as a human being is not just that you're weak. It's not just that you can't work hard. It's not just that you get tired. It's not just that you you have to sleep. It's not just that you are poor or uh, your health is not great. <clears throat> your great weakness is that you don't think you have a weakness. You know, the kids in the playground, when they, when they say, hey, what superpower could I have? The smart kid says to not have a weakness. I never said that when I was a kid. I always used like invisibility or whatever. I was stupid. But like the really smart kid says no weakness. And the problem is that we think that we're a smart kid on the playground. We think that our superpower as humans is to have no weakness. We are most vulnerable when, like Laban, we don't see it at all. What did Laban, Laban didn't see, Laban didn't realize if God's him he, he didn't realize had him. There was a Hindu parade over in India one time, and the local newspaper reported the following. It said at 745 in the parade, the, the god fell into the drain off the cart, but he was rescued by his worshipers and put back on the cart by eight o'clock. Something is seriously wrong with that kind of god. If your God can fall into the drain and need you to pick him up again and her up again, you got a bad kind of God. Now, look, as as Christians, you know we have more sophisticated idolatry than Laban did. We don't have statues. We we have something much more subtle: your security, just you take security, your safety. You hang on at all costs to that person to that relationship, to that one, you hang on at all costs to your health. And the moment you lose it, your life's kaput. You hang on at all costs to that job. Because you can't imagine life without it. We sing, don't we? Be that my vision. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. I mean, do you mean those words when you sing them? I don't care about money. Man's praise, ah, I, I just want people to make fun of me all the time. I just want people to, to think I'm, I'm, I'm awful. I love it when people say I'm awful. Well, no, of course not. Nobody, nobody says that. Man's empty praise. Do you see the temptation to be enslaved to riches? The praise of people. We who are called to be the slaves of Christ, you are called as a Christian to be the slave of Jesus Christ, to follow his way. What do we do? We end up enslaved to other gods perhaps more subtle is the temptation to grab onto part of what's true and then make it into the most important thing think about the question of self-esteem we live in a world that says you need to have the highest self-esteem possible you need to enjoy yourself you need to have some self-care you need to cope with the problems of this life and there's a truth there because Christianity affirms, Jesus affirms that we are made beautiful in God's image. You are far more beautiful than you think you are. You are made valuable in the sight of God. You're not a meat sack. You're not a ghost. And yet, if the most important thing in your life is that people will esteem you well, or that you will have confidence in yourself, or like Julie Andrews, you will have confidence and confidence alone, Idolatry. Idolatry. The problem is, of course, that we can't usually see our our idols unless the Bible makes us laugh at them. That's why this is a funny story. Because God wants you to see, like Laban, you are a weak, self-centered person. You need the Holy Spirit to unleash holy hilarity and snark, not somebody else, but at you. It's a glorious sign, actually, of God's grace when our false gods are mocked. William Cooper has that great hymn, Oh, for a closer walk with thee. He says, the dearest idol I have known, whatever that I'll be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. Do you want that? Do you actually want God to tear it away? Or is it, is it comfy? Is it just too comfy? Is it just too nice to have? Well, let God laugh at you. That's a real, the real chance of a Christian is the ability to let God laugh at you. Let his word snark at you. Have you done that? Well, to help you, by the way, this chapter gives us a kind of basic comparison. It compares Laban's idolatry and Jacob's innocence. You see, Laban, talking about all these things he he could have done, he would have done. I I would have kissed my my, uh, friends, my family goodbye. I would have uh, thrown a party for you. Uh you you've have you've, you've hauled off my daughters like they're prisoners of war. This is Laban, it's rich. This is Laban who has used his daughters, who has manipulated them, who has sold them off into the hand of Jacob, who treats them like foreigners. But what does Jacob say? What does Jacob say? Jacob says, No, hey, look, I was innocent, I worked 20 years. I worked hard. I worked in the daytime. It was boiling hot in the desert. I worked in the nighttime. It was freezing cold. I did it for 20 years. I'm innocent in this, in this instance. Jacob's a cheat. He, he's not been a great guy, but in this case, he's innocent. And so this little comparison game gives us somebody to follow, Jacob. He is the example that we're to follow here. But an example isn't enough. God's protection isn't enough because of our idolatry. We need God finally to be victorious. We need God to be victorious. We see it here. We see it here in this weird covenant and the stones getting fed up and the fact that Jacob swears, verse 53, he swears by the fear of his father, Isaac. We see it here that ultimately by the end of this chapter, you will never see Laban again. He will never be there at all. He leaves the Bible at this point. Why? Because Jacob is victorious. Now Laban not drowned in the ocean like Pharaoh and his chariots are, but it's the same result. Jacob is victorious, not because Jacob is amazing, not even because of his innocence, but because God himself is glorious. God saves Jacob out of weakness. God protects Jacob by speaking to Laban, by scaring him to death. And this is a picture, friends. Why is the story here? Because it's a picture of your salvation, the picture of what's happened to any Christian in this room. Here is the sinner, vulnerable, weak, needy, helpless you have cruel enemies who are stronger than you'll ever be. You have a deep vulnerability. And yet, what do we find in this text? We find an innocent one. We find a shepherd who works day and night. We find someone who labors and labors and never gives up and never gives in. And as you think about Jacob, shouldn't I point you to your savior, Jesus Christ? Because Jacob's a scumbag. He's a scoundrel. But Jesus Christ is the true Israelite in whom there's no Jacob. No guile, no deceit. He is the one who is innocent and innocent and continues on and on. He has no weakness. He has nothing that Satan can grab hold of. Satan tries, Satan tempts him. But what does Jesus Christ do? In the greatest cover of this original track, in the greatest cover album ever, Jesus Christ ransacks Laban. He takes all the sheep away from Laban. He takes all the sheep away from Satan, ultimately. He takes you away. You're the flock of God that Jesus Christ has liberated. And the challenge for some of us today is, do you realize you're in a vulnerable spot? Do you realize that you're up against the wall, that you need salvation? And the answer is, look to the God of Jesus Christ. Who will deliver you? The God of Jacob. This is true because you feel vulnerable. You're old. You're getting old. You have family trouble. You're losing your job. You're not being treated well at work. You don't have any friends. Vulnerable. What are you to do when the vulnerability says, Well, I don't know all your vulnerabilities. You have them. What are you to do? Come to God through the virtue of His Son. Come to God in Jesus Christ and he will give the victory. It is beautiful that God is willing to be known as the God of the sneaky man, Jacob. He is not ashamed to be known as the God of the man who has obvious flaws. Therefore, he is not ashamed to say, I love him. I love Jacob. And you're a Jacob. And God says, I am willing to be known as your God when you're vulnerable. You have to go to the God of Jacob. And that's why, friends, we will see one day that the greater Laban, Satan himself, will leave the scene. You won't hear from him ever ever again. And that thing you fear, that the weakness you have, the vulnerability you have, that will be closed up. And the great glory is that God will be victorious, not just for you, but for the whole universe. May we believe that and live out of that. Trusting him to laugh at our stupidity and yet to protect us and bring us safe to him. Let's pray. Almighty God, we come trusting in your might and yet asking you to laugh at us. We pray that you would show us the things we trust in. You would deliver us from them. You would call us to put all, all that we have on you. We pray that you would protect your people as you did for Jacob here. We don't assume it. We don't use it as a weapon. But in our weakness, we turn to you. So we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.